I guess I'm wondering when you're in front of those athletes, when you have a team that you're working with, do you find that they they really want to be leaders, they just don't know how, or is it something you have to sell them on, the idea of here's why it's needed? No, most of them really want to lead. They want to step up and lead, but many of them, as I said, because they didn't get those opportunities to, to develop those skills in the backyard quite as much, they often struggle. And that's where a lot of times a coach will go to a kid and say, hey, you're my leader, I want you to step up and lead. Right. And the kid kind of is like, okay, that's like telling them speak Swahili. <laughs> And it's like, well, yeah, I'd love You are listening to Jeff Jansen, one of the foremost experts on leadership development, especially when it comes to college athletics. Today on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, we're going to get to talk with Jeff about leadership, of course, but also program development, developing your career as a coach through leadership, and, yes, recruiting. So it's going to be a great conversation. We're glad that you're with us here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, one of the only people not fired by President Trump, and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Well, the great thing about today's guest here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is that he really doesn't need any introduction. Most college coaches are very familiar with Jeff Jansen. You've read his books, you may have attended a workshop or a seminar that he has put on at your college, or you may have heard him speak at your coach's convention. But regardless, he is one of the go-to guys, the go-to guy, when it comes to leadership techniques and developing leaders on your team, in your program, whether they're young recruits just coming in or veterans. And the great thing about Jeff is that he is willing to share the expertise that he has uh, gathered through years uh, in in practicing and studying psychology and and interactive communication with recruits, players, coaches. He's just a wealth of knowledge. The other great thing about Jeff is that he just happens to live near me, here in North Carolina in the Chapel Hill, Cary area. Um, we're neighbors, and so we've been meaning to get together for some time. We finally found time uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were both not traveling and had some free time, and so we met up and just had a conversation. And so this is that conversation that uh, that we had, and what I'm going to do is kind of just let it play out. We covered a lot of different topics, and it really was a pretty wide-ranging discussion. But the one thing I want you to kind of listen for are the techniques that you can put to work right away, because there are several in this podcast interview that you're going to be able to take away, Coach, and immediately begin to use. And we kind of started the conversation in a very simple, uh, simple and direct way. I wanted to find out from Jeff his opinion on why leadership and the topic of leadership and the study of leadership and the whole idea of developing leaders is so important these days to college coaches. I think so many kids today struggle with leadership. I think if you look at youth sports, I mean, it's changed a lot over the last probably 20, 30 years or so. And, you know, most of the coaches who are coaching now, when they played, it wasn't as organized as it was. And, and you'd go out to the backyard and just kind of hang out and, you know, get a pickup game of basketball or baseball going and you'd choose up sides and you'd handicap certain people and you'd make all the close calls and all of that. and today's world is very different obviously you have 
you know, adults organizing everything. You have kids with these immaculate uniforms and bat bags and everything else. And I'm saying that because a lot of athletes now don't get the same opportunities to demonstrate leadership as they're coming up because most of the adults are making a lot of those conflict management and decisions for them. So a lot of kids really struggle in being leaders of their peers. I think that's part of this generation too, that they have a hard time calling each other out. So it is something that a lot of coaches are really frustrated with the level of leadership that they're getting from their kids, not only on the field or on the court or on the track, but in the locker room. When somebody's starting to grumble about something a coach has done, they're not stepping up and saying, hey, this isn't the time and place. You need to go talk to coach about it. They're kind of letting that happen. And now that's poisoning the entire locker room. And on the other side of it, you have coaches that have obviously were good athletes. They decided to make coaching their careers. They have been good enough to to maybe run a team, run a program, and they search out you and books on leadership and everything because they must feel like they don't have the skills to teach it, even though in some respects they are natural leaders. So I'm, I'm, what is the disconnect there between – a college coach who many of them feel like I, I need somebody and you're sort of the preeminent name in this in this field for coaches to come in and help me with developing leaders on our team why, why don't why can't they just do it themselves I guess is what I'm asking yeah I, I think you know certainly coaches have some leadership skills that they can pass on I think the one thing that we do is we make it very practical and we put it into a framework and a formula that makes it very easy to teach to other people. Obviously, leadership is one of those kind of intangibles that intuitively you kind of say you know what it is, but then to break it down and to teach it to somebody else becomes kind of a challenge and a chore. So one of the best compliments I ever got from a coach was saying, you know what, all the stuff you talk about, it's all stuff that I've experienced and done. All you've kind of done is just put it into a framework and terminology that makes it easy to teach to my kids. And I took that as a huge compliment. That's what I think we do is we break down the the complex intangible skill of leadership or culture or the other areas that we get into and we put it into a really practical and proven framework that is totally geared to athletes and coaches. I mean if you look at most campuses out there they've got a leadership development program but it's for the general student and most of the time student athletes obviously they have a unique challenge that they're in and a lot of times they don't really kind of understand or it just doesn't appeal to them if it's a general program and what I think we've where we've made our mark and why we've been successful is we have taken leadership and we have totally customized it to the student athlete. You mentioned a second ago that this generation has trouble maybe doing some things like calling out a teammate or something like that and that's one of the things that that you teach and that you find there's a need there. I guess I'm wondering when you're in front of those athletes when you have a team that you're working with do you find that they they really want to be leaders they just don't know how or is it something you have to sell them on the idea of here's why it's needed 
No, most of them really want to lead. They want to step up and lead, but many of them, as I said, because they didn't get those opportunities to, to develop those skills in the backyard quite as much, they often struggle. And that's where a lot of times a coach will go to a kid and say, hey, you're my leader, I want you to step up and lead. Right. And the kid kind of is like, okay, that's like telling them speak Swahili. <laughs> And it's like, well, yeah, I'd love to be able to do it, but I'm not really sure. And especially when it comes time to those difficult conversations with teammates when they're not doing what they should be doing, that's where it can become very difficult and challenging because they know this is probably not going to be well received. And how do I bring this up? And how do I say it in a way that gets the message across, but also preserves some kind of working relationship because I got to see this person again tomorrow, or I got a room with them or, you know, whatever it may be I have to continue on a workable relationship with this person so you and I grew up in an era where we in playing sports you'd go and you just automatically almost respected the coach you were going to do what he or she said no questions he was going to you know drive you to do things maybe you didn't like but you weren't going to quit and I compare that to now and some of the stories that I hear from top-level programs where we're maybe involved in helping them recruit top 20, top 10, top 50 players in the country. Those athletes are coming in, and what we're finding is the if, it, if a coach approaches them and says, hey, we're going to build the team around you, you're going to play right away as a freshman, um, there's you know, a lot of opportunity for you here, you're, and you're great – what we're finding is a lot of times with this generation, that scares them off. They almost, many of them, not all of them, nothing's universal, but many of them will say, after choosing another school, well, I, I didn't want to be under that spotlight, or I didn't want to make other kids mad, me coming in as a freshman and taking over, and so going to this other program where I had to sit the bench for a year, that was actually more appealing. Mm-hmm. These are really good players, and I guess I'm just sort of poising uh, you for this question, which is, is that something unique to this generation? And why is that to the extent that that would describe an athlete who's sort of, you know, maybe a little more timid and doesn't want to just take it right away? Um, well, I guess, why is that? Yeah, I think there's probably two things there. I think one thing is that it is probably more of a generational thing, that this generation likes to feel more connected and networked with each other and doesn't really like to sometimes rise above some of the other people as well. So I think part of it is generational. And then I think another part of it, too, is probably some male-female differences mm-hmm. as well. You know, I think the, a male athlete may be more willing to say, you're the man, yeah. I'm going to step up, because, you know, as they say, guys tend to organize themselves more as a totem pole or hierarchical structure. I'm either better than him or he's better than me, whereas females a lot of times like more of a web structure in in their development. So not only I think are there some generational differences there, but there may be some male-female differences there too, and that's all part of trying to get to know what makes that kid tick and what approach you would take then in trying to recruit them and seeing if they're a fit for your program. So given some of the uniqueness about this generation that you've just outlined, what what is the main struggle that you see coaches having in developing leaders on the team and developing just sort of, uh, you know, if, if they take an incoming freshman class, they want to pick out or slowly develop two or three leaders that by the junior and senior year they, they now can take charge. 
where are the struggles? Where are the hurdles that you're finding in your work? Yeah, I, I think the biggest hurdles are, number one, you have to start by leading yourself. If you cannot lead yourself effectively, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the trust or respect of your teammates. So all the programming that we start with, especially at the younger levels, is what we talk about leading by example. And the four things we talk about there is commitment. You have to be one of the top hardest workers on your team if you're going to gain your teammates and coaches' respect. So we talk a lot about where is your commitment level in terms of what you're bringing to the weight room, what you're bringing to conditioning, what you're bringing to practices. So commitment's one big area. Then we talk a lot about confidence. Do you have confidence not only in yourself as an athlete, but as a person to kind of step up and put yourself out there? So we work a lot then on confidence and building your confidence and obviously younger kids kids, especially if they have the older juniors and seniors who are well established, that takes some time to find their voice and figure out who they are. Then composure. Obviously, when the stuff hits the fan, we look at our leaders. And if our leaders are falling apart or yelling and screaming at other people and losing it, we're going to lose our faith in them as well. So they really have to maintain their poise when the other team goes on an 8-0 run or when they're down by 14 at half or whatever it may be for all the sports that are out there. So composure is a big one and maintaining their poise when things especially aren't going well. And then the fourth one we talk about is character. How important it is, your decisions that you make, not only in your sport, but in school, in the community, on campus, all those things either build your platform of leadership or erode your platform of leadership. So a lot of adults struggle with their commitment, confidence, composure, character, so let alone 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, they're going to struggle. So we really focus in on that area first to lead yourself first. And then the area that we start to focus on is being a vocal leader. And the two things we talk about there is an encourager. When you see great commitment or confidence or composure or character from one of your teammates, we want you to call that out. Hey, great job. But where most kids really struggle is when they don't see great commitment, confidence, composure, character from a teammate. We also need you to be an enforcer. We need you to step up and say, you know what? We need better effort from you right now. Or you know what? That decision that you made out on Thursday night embarrassed us and embarrassed this program. And a lot of kids really struggle when it comes time to be a vocal leader to hold their teammates accountable when they aren't giving them those great leader by example behaviors. So in that last point that you just mentioned, uh, and if a coach is listening to this and and you just talked about something maybe that they dealt with in this past season or recently, but then the other side of the coach is saying, hey, look, you know, I, I've got 80 other things to do in my day. I've got to administrate. I have to figure out the budget, the travel, the practice plan. And now you guys are sitting here talking about wanting me to, to you know, understand their feelings and be a leader. Can you give a coach who's maybe never really bought into the developing leadership uh, you know, idea that that's one of their responsibilities, give me or him or her the uh, sort of the case two or three points uh, as to why why it's so important and how it directly affects their program in the wins and loss column yeah so i'll I'll say a couple things there number one is most of the things that keep coaches up at night and and drive them nuts and all the time they spend are probably involved in these team dynamic motivational kind of issues so if you've got good leadership going on 
we might be able to cut some of those issues in half in terms of now they're being dealt with earlier, they're being dealt with more maturely, they're being dealt with by a couple senior leaders in the locker room taking care of that crap so that it doesn't have to even come across your desk. So that's one. Second thing I would say is yes, talent is important and you've got to recruit it, you've got to develop it, but what I always say are these intangibles of leadership and chemistry and culture, they're a plus or minus two factor for your program. So let's say you have a seven level of talent as you look at your team across other conferences and everything else. Well, okay, if I've got a seven level of talent, if I can get some of these intangibles going for me, I might be able to get that seven level of talent playing at a plus one, maybe at an eight level, or maybe even at a plus two level at a nine. So now I can actually compete with some teams that might have a nine or 10 talent level, but if they don't have the chemistry, if they don't have a good culture, if they have poor leadership, that nine or 10 team is now operating at a minus one or a minus two, they might be operating at a seven level. So now I can start to compete with some teams that maybe I had no business competing with on paper because I've got the, these kids playing not just for themselves, but for each other. And it starts to raise that level of whatever talent level you have much higher, or even if you've got that great talent level, we've all seen seasons where a team that should have gone to the Final Four, I mean, that's how I got my start at Arizona. Mm-hmm. My start back in 94 at Arizona is Arizona men's basketball kept losing in the first round to East Tennessee State and Santa Clara and Miami of Ohio, teams they should have never lost to but they didn't have the focus they didn't have the culture they didn't have the chemistry and that's why I got an opportunity to work with them is they were far underperforming the talent level they had on paper right and if a coach is listening to this um, certainly on the leadership side and the work we do in recruiting it doesn't mean that you're not an intelligent coach because you don't know you know how to teach leadership you've just never been taught to teach it and like the one coach who said you you tend to put it in a way uh, in terms that are teachable and understandable for uh, for their teams so when we sort of put out the the message that we were going to be talking to you on the Mm -hmm. podcast we asked uh, for the people and the coaches who follow me on twitter to come up with some questions so i'm going to just throw some questions out at you from coaches and we'll keep it anonymous uh um but um so this first one is from a client of ours, actually, um, where we help we help coaches craft the message and the language that goes out to their to their athletes. And so uh, this coach writes one of the emails that I sent out uh, talked about what role you want to have in college uh, as an as an athlete. And almost all my recruits said they want to be a leader. That was the response. Mm-hmm. College teams are typically quote-unquote all-star teams with top players and captains how do you develop the new members on the team and maintaining the culture that has been developed within that college over the years yeah i think what's really important is to understand what your team's standards are and your core values are i'll give you a great example michigan men's basketball has spent a lot of time in really looking at what their core values might be and what really their standards and expectations are being a michigan student athlete 
and what they've evolved their programming to, especially over the summer as new recruits come on in, is they've now got it to a point where they're upper class leaders because they live these standards, because they understand these standards. They will sit down with these incoming freshmen and talk a lot about this is what it means to be a Michigan student athlete. Mm. This is what it means to represent our program on the court. This is what we expect of you to do in the weight room. This is how we expect you to conduct yourself when you're in the classroom. So it's being you know, taught by the upper class leaders to really help those young kids understand this is what we expect of you now right. in this role, being a highly representative person of our, not only our athletic department, but our whole university. Great, great answer. Um, another question, I thought this was a really interesting one. Um, can you define different types of leaders on a team? Because I think, you know, sometimes coaches oversimplify and say, well, you have leaders and you have the rest of the team, but are there actually different types of leaders in the same way that you have different personalities that come out that have strengths and weaknesses? What, what are the different types of leaders? Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the areas, biggest areas, and I think most important ones is what I would call a performance leader. A mm-hmm. performance leader is somebody who on game day for sure, but within practices as well, make sure that everybody is locked in, make sure that the intensity level is there, make sure that people are focused in on the game plan. They're usually your most competitive kids and your most committed kids and they are going to really be that voice on game day and certainly set the intensity in your program so you've got your performance leaders I think you also then need your locker room leaders your culture is really determined in the locker room especially after a tough practice or after a tough loss of how are we going to handle these certain things and that's where if the griping starts a culture leader is going to step up and say you know what I know you're frustrated I know you're frustrated but talking about this now is not the time and place. You need to talk about this later. So there's those, uh, as I said, locker room leaders. You've got your social leaders. Obviously, in most teams, you've got a lot of different people. You have maybe different subgroups, offense, defense, or different event groups if you're a track coach, and even the upper-class kids versus the underclass kids. And a social leader is going to pull all those different people together. So you've got that part. I always say there's organizational leaders. A lot of times, especially on a college campus, you have your student athlete advisory board. You have to represent your team on uh, campus and in the athletic department, and you're doing that. And then the last one I'll share with you that I think a lot of coaches overlook, but I learned from Anson Dorrance at North Carolina, you need to have a leader of your reserve group. Obviously, your subs are going to comprise usually a good percentage of what your roster is. And if you can have a leader who's a part of that group, has credibility with that group, and can keep that group positive and contributing, and exactly, and showing them that they can still play a role in helping your team. It may not be a prominent on-court or on-field one, but you know we've all seen these benches, especially in basketball, where they're going nuts, and it's almost like the people on the bench get more notoriety sometimes on Sports Center than maybe some of the players on the team. Exactly. So it's I talk about those five kinds of leaders, and you have to look at your program and say, okay, 
do we have someone for each of these levels? And if we don't, one of the biggest things that I've done is create a leadership depth chart. Obviously, coaches have depth charts in terms of their position, certainly in terms of recruiting, because we're losing that amazing player. Well, it's the same thing with these five kinds of leaders. Do we have these kids in our program, number one, for this year? And if not, then how do we fill in those slots? And then who might be good next year? Because maybe we're losing an amazing performance leader who's a senior, and we have to start grooming that sophomore or junior who's going to be the voice of our team right. or needs to be the voice of our team next right. year when that other great person is gone. Right. That's good. Um, so another question we got from a coach was, how do you identify leaders as you're recruiting them, are there are there things that you can look at in the process to say, okay, that's somebody that fits the mold of what our culture is or that the type of leader I need? Uh, because I think right now coaches are recruiting based on talent, maybe a little bit based on personality in general. Do they fit our program? And then they come in and they realize, wow, this this is either a kid that's sort of a cancer on the team, or surprise, they are a great leader. Yeah. I think they want more of the good leaders. How? Do, what would your advice be on that side? Yeah, a couple things there. I mean, obviously, one would be to look at have they earned that title of captain for their teams that they've been a part of? Have they been involved in school things in terms of student council, or maybe a class vice president or class president things there? So. Those are title things that you can kind of look at and see. You know, I would certainly ask them, hey, would you see yourself more as a leader by example or a vocal leader for our program and see how they respond to that? Oh, you know, I'm not really comfortable being that vocal person. I'm more of a leader by example. So that kind of gives you what they're comfortable with. And then Roy Williams tells a great story when he was recruiting Marvin Williams at the time. Marvin had fouled out in an AAU game, and most of the time when a guy fouls out and it's a close game, he's kind of just all worried about himself, sulking at the end of the bench, yelling at the officials. He said that Marvin went down, and when there was a timeout, ran to the end of the bench, grabbed every other guy's water bottle, and ran out to them and and was giving them their water bottles as a way to be a servant leader, even though he couldn't technically contribute because he was followed out he was out there and coach Williams said when I saw that I knew I wanted Marvin on my team just because of the kind of person he was so I think you know what coach Williams always does when he's recruiting is he gets there extra early and stays extra late and watches for all these subtle things certainly you can see Marvin scoring and and hitting threes and dunking the ball and all that but what he's looking for are those subtle things before uh, within the action when there's a dead ball and certainly afterwards it's to see what kind of person really is Marvin. So as a follow-up to that, we got a question uh, from a coach that said that, that he asked, what questions should we ask in trying to identify those types of leaders as we're recruiting? And so, you know, the, the, the story or the scenario that you just painted of Coach Williams being able to go get there a little extra early, watch for all the intangibles, stay a little bit late, and 95% of the coaches that are in college athletics don't have the opportunity or the luxury maybe to go out and watch kids and, and see and make the, the personal observations as much. So are there things that you could ask an athlete that might give you insight into what kind of a leader they are or what kind of potential they have on for leadership? Yeah, you know, what we, we do, we have 24 questions that we use to both evaluate kids as leaders by example and as vocal leaders. So a lot of those get into what I talked about before, their commitment level, their confidence, their composure, their character. Those are all things that you're looking at. As I said, asking them, hey, are you more comfortable being a leader by example or vocal leader? 
I think you know asking the kid is is certainly an important part of it, but you know asking some other people who obviously don't always have a vested interest because I know a lot of times their own coaches want to get them recruited and may not get a straight answer all the time, but really asking some of these other people or coaches that this kid has competed against or just people around the school. They always talk about the custodian and trying to get some of that stuff. I think asking other people about these kinds of things, hey, what kind of leader is this kid? Are they more comfortable being a leader by example or vocal leader? I think would also start to clue you in to whether or not this kid can do a, a solid job as a leader for your program. Which sort of flows nicely into the last question that we got via Twitter, which was, what are the most common red flags to watch for uh, as you're recruiting that might signal a lack of leadership potential or just negative leadership traits? Um, and I don't know if you can answer that with you know, stories or examples that you've run across in your work or just in general the principles that you would outline for a coach. Yeah, I think a lot of it goes back to how well this kid leads him or herself. And if they're throwing tantrums all the time, throwing equipment, getting technical fouls, you know, 15 yards for unsportsmanlike stuff, if this kid is always going ballistic and having a hard time leading themselves, that probably is going to carry over as well. So I think that's something that you've got to look for. Certainly the character decisions, I know Pat Summit would always look at absences and, and uh, tardies and things like that. If you saw a kid who had a lot of red flags there, they had a hard time being responsible for themselves in that regard. And I think just a kid's commitment-wise, too. If the commitment really isn't at a level that needs to be there griping and complaining all the time or not really seen as a hard worker those things are probably going to show up on your campus as well too so if you see enough of those personal struggles to lead themselves consistently odds are that's probably going to continue if you were to bring them on your campus so a couple other follow-up questions uh as we start to wrap up the conversation um parents of recruits and and you mentioned this generation of recruit and athlete is much different so are the parents that come along with them. Um, the parents today, you probably not act like the parents, or my parents or your parents, uh, as we were involved in, in school and athletics. But w- I guess what role do you see parents playing, especially, well, I guess twofold, with as a high school athlete, but then also once they're in college? I think there's a feeling among college coaches that parents aren't fading away into the background. They stay very much... You know, input, uh, and they're in their athlete's ear, and I'm just wondering, you know, coaches are battling that too. Where does that fall in certain terms of leadership development, or maybe just the personal development of an athlete to sort of think on his or her own? Yeah, I, I think it goes both ways. I think you certainly have your parents who are, you know, hyper involved, the helicopter parents, as they've always called them because they've been such a part of their kids' lives. They've invested so much money into it that they feel like they have a big say in it. So it's their involvement that's that's part of it. But I think kids, too, are also extra connected to their parents. I mean, probably when you and I went to school back in the day, maybe there was a Sunday night call or something like that. But with these kids, there's probably five or six or ten texts a day. There could be a phone conversation every other day or so. So it's the kids are also keeping that connection and reaching back as well, too. So I think it's both groups there. And I think it's really important. Carol Hutchins, who's a softball coach at Michigan, 
she is really specific with her parents and you know like most coaches hey if there's a personal issue going on yes we really want you involved we care about your kids that is no problem but when it comes time to playing time and performance issues, this is a separation now. You no longer are going to be having conversations with us about that. If you have concerns about it, then have your kid come and talk with us about those situations. So I think the more you can set expectations on the front end, Anson Dorrance does that as well with his Carolina soccer program, I think you have to unfortunately coach the parents on the front end as to what your expectations are of them and where your boundaries and standards might be and yes you want their input and yes you want them to be a well maybe more part of the program I shouldn't say input a part of the program but their input should be more in terms of their kids personal um, well-being than anything else I mean so really it's it's giving it, it you're you're what you're suggesting in there is that that coaches need to lead parents as well as they come into your program in the same way that you're going to have to direct and set guidelines for the athletes you very much have to do that with with parents and i i couldn't agree more with with that um so the the last question that i'll ask is so a coach has been listening to this for half an hour and he or she is realizing I'm I'm not doing the things that I should be doing as a leader. Um, aside from calling you and your group and getting them involved, uh, getting you involved with their program, what are the first sort of three triage steps that they could take to start developing uh, leaders on the team, but also just being a more effective leader themselves as a coach? What would be the first sort of three baby steps that you could give uh, could give a coach? Yeah, I would start to look at, okay, who has the most influence in your program right now? Oftentimes, it's the most talented athlete, uh, especially in male sports, um, but even female sports as well. Um, certainly, you have the upper-class kids are usually more of an influence on the program as well. And then the more dominant personalities tend to have um, a lot of influence. So I think the first thing to do is kind of evaluate what is our current situation in terms of leadership? And is it going in a positive direction? You know, leadership, the, the simplest definition is influence. So who are the people who have influence and in what ways are they influencing our program? Um, it was Chuck Knoll who once said, you know, that basically there's a core group that every team has that influences everyone else, and is that influence positive or negative? And if it's negative, you're beaten before you even walk out on the field. So I would look at your current influencers, what influence are they having, and if the influences influencers are positive then okay let's work with those kids and let's see how we can really utilize that and harness it if it's negative then you're going to really have to do a lot more soul searching and start to think about okay how can i start to really help those kids be a positive influence on our team rather than a negative influence and then the other thing that i learned as well is that mike fox who's the baseball coach at north carolina said you know what one of my best seasons occurred when my best athlete was also my best leader hmm. So one of the things that we strongly recommend for coaches is to identify those best athletes when they're younger and to start investing some time training them as a leader. So as they go through your program, they already have a platform of respect because of their ability. But if now we can add that layer of leadership, 
they're really going to have a positive influence on the team. So I think a lot of it is looking at where is our leadership now, what kind of influence do we have, and then identifying those younger groups of kids who can be leaders for your program, and especially during the off-season, what we've done with a lot of our resources is put them into maybe six-module kind of things. So a kid can read something, a coach can read something for a week, and then they sit down for 20 minutes or so and say, hey, how did what you just read relate to you? How does that relate to this team? And how can we utilize this to have that positive influence in our program? All right, Coach. So here's the deal. If you didn't get at least two or three great nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your program and your team right away, then stop what you're doing. Go back to the beginning of the podcast and listen to it again because there is so much good stuff. And I really appreciate Jeff Jansen just uh, spending the time and lending his expertise to this really important topic for every college coach. Uh, If you want more information, we have all of his contact information in the show notes of this podcast. Just go there for uh, for all of that. He is uh, more than willing to work with your program, talk with your team. Uh, That is his role. He is the leader in college athletics when it comes to leadership techniques. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Really excited that you were able to listen, Coach. Listen in the future. We've got some good episodes coming up. And we also have now a pretty healthy library of past episodes. So whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, whatever your platform is that you listen to podcasts on, go back and listen. There are some great topics along like with this one that you can use right away and implement into your program. So that's it. We thank you for listening. Coach, have a great week out there, and we'll talk to you again soon here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. As each of us recalls, ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls. Turn on the spigot, pour the beer and swig it, and Gaudiamusi get a tour. Here's two parties we tossed to the games that we lost. We shall claim that we won them someday. To the girls, young and sweet, to the spacious back seat of our roommates, beat up Chevrolet. To the beer and Benzedrine, to the way that the dean tried so hard to be pals with us all. To excuses we fibbed, to the papers we cribbed, from the genius who lived down the hall. To the tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be. Let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams and we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Oh, soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. 
Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life. Ooh. But as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth. <laughs>